And true entrepreneurship is just like a bold statement in like, I want to be free. All of us will get canceled in some way, mm. just because all of us have a social presence. I do think that we're all going to, in the next four years, be able to fall in love with an AI. And I'm sorry, Lex, if you're listening, but I did challenge him to an MMA fight. I have the strangest comments on TikTok. I just don't get it. Like, I'm trying to educate these people. They're like, I like your funny hands, magic man. <laughs> <laughs> So, Siraj, welcome to the podcast, man. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be here. So, it looks like um, you're pretty big in the AI community. You're a YouTuber with almost a million subs, best-selling author. At one point, you were the fifth most followed person on GitHub, a platform which has almost 100 million accounts. You've been on the Lex Friedman podcast. How did you get into making content in the first place? I think the word content is a very... It's a very vague word for where I think I got my start on YouTube. Uh, you know, um, content isn't a very personalized word for the storytelling that happens in the developer community. I think it's more just like, you know, I'll answer the question more like, when did I start caring about AI and technology as much as I did that caused me to want to start being on YouTube every week nonstop? And that was probably when I read The Singularity is Near when I was working at Meetup. Um, as an intern in New York and I was telling everybody about it and they were like, they thought it was weird, but I really thought it was something. I was like, this is it. So how do you go from that to like, I'm going to make videos on this? I ended up moving to Silicon Valley like a few years after that. And I was trying to, well, first of all, just make money, <laughs> just like, you know, I had like 2K in my bank account, like barely enough to get by in San Francisco. And I just wanted to like do some contract work like iOS or whatever I could. But I, I ultimately, I wanted to do something in AI and robotics. Like I just felt like that was so far out of my, you know, I just wasn't ready there, ready in my career at that point to, to do that. But when I got let go from Twilio, um, that was like the push I needed to start making the YouTube videos. And I've been doing that ever since with the two-year break. So, so it's interesting because, um, you know, especially right now, a lot of people are getting laid off. It almost feels like the default instinct isn't to turn to content, even though now, you know, making a full-time living from content is much more feasible than it was maybe five years ago. So what went on in your head for you to be like, I need money. I'm going to make YouTube videos. I wanted to make money when I first got to Silicon Valley because I needed to survive. But once I had the contract work secured, then I would just like travel for like six months at a time. And I would just have this cycle where I would like work for three to six months on some contract, you know, get like 60 K and go like travel for a year and like India or Japan or something. And like write those books that I used to like decentralized apps for O'Reilly and just hack on a bunch of random projects and, and get to do all those things. So you were writing before the content, like the YouTube content. Yeah. Okay. Wait, so how do you get to a point where you're making $60,000 on like a one-time contract job? I didn't say it was one time. It was okay. Maybe one or two contracts at a time. Okay. But, how, okay, this is back in like 2013, okay. 2014, when iOS development was like as hot as probably like um, computer vision is now. Mm. So like that was the thing. And, you know, making $100 an hour was like a lot back then for a college dropout like myself. Um, so it was fun, uh, you know, just, I, I love that time period of like being like, looking back, I, it wasn't as fun cause it was a lot of like existential dread, like what is the point of life and everything. But now I'm like, that was like a actually really fun time, you know, in life because 
you know, when you're the most lost, that's when I feel like you can, if you, if you really listen and you have the right people around you, you can come to some really beautiful conclusions like, well, I should just start a YouTube channel about AI. And like when I was at Twilio, I felt like this was a much better role for me than like iOS or Android development. It was a developer education role specifically. So I started to be like, okay. And the only reason I even applied to Twilio is because I got rejected by every other company you know of. Like, you know, Google, Twilio, you know, Apple, everything, 60 rejections for iOS developer, because I didn't understand that like these trends, like they come and go like these markets, they get saturated, like, and something that worked two years earlier, like my hundred dollars an hour iOS contract wouldn't work two years later for like, you know, working at Twilio or working as an iOS developer full time somewhere because the market was saturated and like, or maybe it wasn't as good at that as I thought I would be. Mm. That's probably, it's probably a little bit of both. The truth is in between. So I worked at Twilio as a developer educator and I was like, okay, this is more my speed. Like, I like this more. Interesting. But you said you dropped out of college. I dropped out of college. What was the thought process? I encourage everyone to do the same. So, so what was going on in your mind for you to be like, okay, I'm ready to drop out of college and support myself. So I read the book, The Singularity is Near when I was working at a, as an intern at meetup.com. Um, that was junior year at Columbia. And what year was this? This was junior year. Uh, like in actual, like 2000? Oh, yeah, this was in 2012. So Meetup was hot back then. Meetup was hot. Yeah. Mm. It was the it was New York Tech's, it was New York Tech's like baby. Yeah, 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 I remember that. And so you read the book and you're like, well, what in the book made you want to drop out? I didn't necessarily want to drop out. I just wanted to start a startup, an AI startup. And I felt like, Ray Kurzweil was right in his predictions, like robotics and AI would be like very commonplace in our lifetimes. So I wanted to get in on that and I wanted to invest in that. And I felt like the way to do that would be to create something practical. And what ended up happening is I made a robotics startup that I founded with two people I met at Columbia, like two roboticists. And it was called Lucid Robotics. And we made a robot for older people with ALS who couldn't pick things up off the floor. We built a prototype, got investment from Sabir Bhatia, founder of Hotmail. And then, you know, it turns out like I was overthinking the solution because you can just use a pooper scooper to pick things up off the floor <laughs> and it costs five bucks. You don't have to buy a robot. Interesting. And so you dropped out for the startup. For the startup. Yeah. And then after you realized that you would, I guess, over-engineer the solution, what did you do? I, to much my mom's hatred, I did not go back because, and I really only had I, only, I'm, I think this is the first time I've actually said this live. Is like I only had three credits left at Columbia to to get that degree. Three credits. Wow. But it, it, the thought was definitely in your head of going back and just finishing the three credits. The thought was in my head for like five or six years afterwards. Really? The thought was. Mm. I didn't do it. But I also just disagree with like college in general. Like the idea of like you go to a college to learn something and like, that's what you need to do in order to get a job and be free. Like I'm very used to not being free. Like growing up in Houston, Texas mm. with my parents, like I definitely did not feel free. My dad was very, you know, controlling. Um, you know, he was, he was, a, he was trying to do his best, but he definitely didn't let me like express myself yeah. very fully, you know, in his presence. And so that definitely made it harder for me to like be myself around people in general, like unless I really got to know somebody. And I think that is why I also started YouTube to kind of go 
connect it back to your original question because when I'm alone with a camera, I can be myself. And that's like a weird trait that YouTubers kind of share. Interesting. I feel. So when you were making this decision to drop out, what did your parents, especially your dad, I guess, think of that? Uh, so it's weird. So like my mom was the one who was focused on education and cared. So she was the one who was crying for like weeks at, and yelling and guilting and all the yeah. toxic stuff that Asian parents do, you know, Indian parents do. Plus you got into a great school. Like you were clearly a good student. I got into a so great So the school. expectations are, right? There's a bar your parents have set for you based on your performance and right. They expect, okay, here's what the next 30 years look like for you based on what you've already accomplished. Well, my mom's whole thing was like, either you go to an Ivy league school or like you pay for everything. And like, we're never going to pay for your college. Really? They're like, we're never paying a dime. So Ivy league or bust. Like we're just now, we don't have money. They yeah. didn't have any enough money to Got do it. that. Yeah. My dad was like a jeweler. He, you know, he did watch repair. And uh, my mom just kind of was a stay-at-home mom. And, mm. But they definitely didn't have the means to, like, send me to college. So either, so I kind of had to, like, focus on getting into the Ivy League to, Got it. to get by. And so after you chose not to go back, what did you do? Is that how you, you know, you were at Meetup before you dropped out? I just really made a bet on, like, myself. Like, I could just make money. Like, I could just support myself in this field of computer science, of develop, you know, software development. I wouldn't need the degree. But I will say, like, in the first two years of being in San Francisco and, like, applying to places, you know, CBS Interactive was, like, a job that I had for a bit. And, like, someone told me, like, the hiring manager liked that I went to Columbia. So to say that it completely didn't help is a lie. It did help me. Um, I'm not claiming that it never helped me. I'm just saying, like, that was a specific time and place. You know, now we have ChatGPT out here. He's he's taking over, or she, it, um, they. So <laughs> I thought you were talking about like the founder of ChatGPT for a second. I think you said she. I was like, yeah. And you said he, she. I was like, oh, I think you said they. Well, you're, you're talking about the AI. Every week I'm using ChatGPT as a co-founder to build an MVP on YouTube. That's my thing now. Mm. And I'm realizing, see, at first, my first few videos, there were a little bit of clickbait. Okay. Everybody's talking about ChatGPT. So I, I legit made a Twilio SMS bot with the GPT-3 API. But in the title, I put, watch ChatGPT build it. And so what I did was, in the beginning of the video, I asked ChatGPT some questions, but the reality is, I could have just built that myself. Yeah. What I'm doing now is I'm realizing, like, you really are supposed to have a conversation with this thing because it remembers context. Mm. And training it, it. And training it? Yeah. Yeah, you are, yeah you're training it, yeah. So, so I, that's an interesting point, because right now, especially with ChatGPT coming out, you know, I guess in the middle of the last school semester in fall, people really started to realize that they can get around doing research for their homework or they can get around, you know, like asking a friend for help because schools they can literally too, just, right? yeah, some of the high schools are yeah. banning it. Um, so, so what I'm curious is how do you see education changing now that ChatGPT is there? Can schools even block it? Schools can block it. New York just blocked it, right? But can they block it at home? Like how, how does it actually, how do you actually like build a countermeasure against it? Well, one countermeasure, a very blocky countermeasure, is to do exams in person that are monitored. So proctored, monitor, live examinations without laptops from memory. And yeah. that would work. We're going the other way. Yeah, that's a tough ask, right? So After. You're going backwards in technology. That would be backwards. But that's probably what some of them, a lot of them will do because their jobs depend on it. Because you can put it in the plagiarism thing and it, it doesn't show up as plagiarism. Yeah. 
are there are there like chat gpt enabled or like projects that you can put projects that you can <laughs> it's okay you're good. you're good it's okay i have a blood test i can recommend for you <laughs> you won't be sick as much whoa wait what what is that it's called inside tracker i wish i had a code i will um but what, what? Is this a matrix? What, what, it's the matrix. Yeah, yeah, bro. <laughs> I'm trying to reverse my age. I'm at like 22 right now. But what? it tells you the number. Are you serious? I'm dead serious. It's called Inside Tracker. You guys know, know about So David Sinclair, okay. he wrote a book yeah. recently called Why We Age and Why We Don't Have To. Mm-hmm. I've heard of that. He's a Harvard geneticist. I've heard of the yeah. And his whole thing is like, if you take these blood tests and you do the certain lifestyle changes, you can reverse your epigenetic age. and It's really cool. So you're saying your age is 22. Epigenetically, I know I'm going to die. I don't think I'm like sure. an immortal person, but I think it's like a fun data-driven way to stay healthy. And what have you, uh, what's the biggest lifestyle change you've had to do in order to counteract aging? Better sleep by mm. far. How That's do you the biggest sleep. I use the Aura Sleep Ring. All these people I'm signing because they all should be paying me for mentioning them, but they will. It's okay. And that's that's the main source of of analyzing your sleep or have you noticed habits? that have gotten better sleep for you, like dietary habits. Wait, wait, wait. Don't look You don't at- drink water. I love water, yeah. <laughs> I drink water. Every morning, drink a lot of water, yeah. The, the dietary habits, yeah, I'm, I eat a lot of like, mostly Italian. It sucks that like, you know. <laughs> wait, <what? laughs> dietary habits, I eat a lot, yeah, mostly Italian. I don't Italian. think that's a diet. <laughs> no, 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 a lot of olive oil and you know, very like. Here's how you live longer, Italian food. I, unfortunately, desi food is not good for me. Like I've, you know, have you ever worn a, worn a blood glucose monitor and like went to an Indian restaurant? It will spike like nothing else. Like who when you walk a, in, it spikes? Who it's wears just, a Yeah. Before you eat, it spikes. I didn't even eat anything random. sweet and it would just spike more than I when I eat dessert and I was trying it out. I was like, oh my God. What is, is it? Because of the, the cream? Bro, I don't know why. Because they put a lot of heavy cream, right? And a lot of the, I have no idea. I don't know. I don't know. We might get canceled. See, I walked into the room, but like I, I came in like a few minutes late and I hear you saying, oh, yeah, I don't drink water after I eat. What was that about? Okay. So I was like, trying to explain yeah. to him. It's like, um, he offered me water and I was like, well, I just ate. And the reason is I don't drink water when I eat because I think it hurts digestion. What happens is like when you drink water and you already have food in your stomach, it is absorbed by your bloodstream faster, which spikes your blood glucose faster, which causes a harder crash. So you'll mm. feel more fatigued. And I'm just trying to be on. So, so you've noticed better energy from this. Yeah. It could be anecdotal. I could be biased. I am biased. How long, how long have you been doing it? Since I had the levels glucose, blood glucose monitor. So okay. eight months. Eight months. Oh, that's a, that's a pretty good sample size. Yeah. And you've had a crazy fitness journey too, right? Like you've documented this. Yeah, but, weight loss yeah all yeah. the weight loss and everything. What is this fitness journey? I decided I needed to like get ripped and, you know, have a six pack. Okay. That was like an overcorrection. Cause like I was kind of under eating. I realized and yeah. like the blood test showed me that I was under eating. Um, I wouldn't have known otherwise, but now I'm like at a healthy level and I feel really good. Mm. But did you feel like you had to overcorrect in order to get to a point where you were happy with your fitness and then you can. Yeah, I definitely. Yeah. I needed to overcorrect. Yeah. I need to look at myself, be like, okay, he can get a six pack. Mm-hmm. And then, not. so it's just something you wanted to prove to yourself. I just wanted to prove to myself, and I could control that. Like at the time, like I was being bullied on the internet. Um, this was like two years ago. Mm-hmm. That whole controversial thing around plagiarism. I used GPT to plagiarize a research paper, um, and then I had a lot of people like call me out about it. Wait, and uh, wait, what? Sorry, you guys don't know about this. 
I mean, someone had mentioned it, but no. Yeah. So this is like two, three years ago. Well, it was 2019. So three years ago. Yeah. Now and I, you know, plagiarized a research paper and got a lot of, you know, hate for it. And use GPT. Yeah. And, you know, there's memes about it. Go look it up. It's like quantum doors. And, you know, why did you use these phrases? I don't think people, a lot of people know that I used AI to, it yeah. was like a shitty AI, obviously, but like, um, I think I was, you're breaking news with how you did it. Or did you explain this? I don't think I've explained it. I yeah. mean, I made an apology video that was excruciating and all that stuff. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I use AI. And, um, yeah. But why would I even do that? Um, I was on Coke. That's why. Won't do that again. Sorry, um, internet. It was it was a, a two month thing. I did a bunch of things in those two months I wouldn't have done. Like that and then the course that I couldn't run properly and I had to refund everybody. That also happened in the same time frame if you mm. look at the history. Yeah. So I was just like really like in Santa Monica on with the wrong people. So you were in LA? I was in LA. Okay. Yeah. So you were a real YouTuber at that point. You well, I thought I to- I thought that's where I had to be because I got big here in SF. Explain I, that. Explain the move from SF to LA. I just felt like LA is where all the collaborations were, all the other YouTubers were living. And I didn't feel as connected with the SF community because like, I don't know, since I started, people were like, you should go get a job. What are you doing? Mm. Now influencer is a thing, whereas in 2016, it wasn't. And so I just felt like I'd be more connected with people there. I was wrong. This is where like my community is. Mm. Like I'm more tech than I am YouTube, if that makes sense. What was the biggest difference between the tech community here and that YouTube community? Everyone was really just in it for themselves. There was no culture of paying it forward that mm. exists here. It's like, I'll help you, but eventually I assume you'll help me and everything there is more just like take, take, take. And obviously that's a gross over generalization. Sure. That was my experience in Santa Monica specifically. Mm. Wait, so to backtrack, started off making YouTube videos as a way to make money and then internet scandal, so you got canceled. Mm-hmm. What's it like psychologically? to actually like get canceled in such a big way. It's huge. I wouldn't recommend anybody that happened to anybody, but I do feel like all of us will get canceled. And I say this a, a lot of times to people, no one really believes me. All of us will get canceled in some way mm. just because all of us have a social presence, um, however small or large, and we'll get called out for something we do just because of the lack of privacy that we're all going to have someday. Like privacy is an ever diminishing commodity. Yeah. So eventually something, you're going to do something that's not perfect. And uh, it's not going to have to be a big deal. Um, I think the bigger, you know, the more influence you have, the more it hurts. Um, so yeah, it hurt me big time, um, emotionally, psychologically. Um, I ended up moving to Idaho. Around the same time, well, like two months after that, COVID hit. And so San Francisco shut down. Yeah. And like, I just moved to Idaho and just was there for a year, year and a half and like going through different therapeutic modalities like virtual reality or you know, riding horses or raising chickens or wow. growing uh, vegetables and things I've never done before just to try to kind of feel better. How did you decide on Idaho? It was a 10 hour drive from San Francisco and it was not as like apocalyptic seeming at the time. Mm. Right. So, I mean, I was trying to go to the grocery store and so like food is not there and there was a huge line. I was like, all right, I need to go to the middle of nowhere. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I kept making YouTube videos when I went, but they were weird. And I mean, they were fine. They were live streams, but 
they just weren't good enough for me. I feel like that's something a lot of my um, creator friends have struggled with, or even my startup kind of like founder friends. It's this concept of not being good enough, or like something you do, something you put your life into, like all your like effort into, is just not good enough. Mm. Is that something you've had to get over? Have you been able to get over it? Well, yeah. I mean, it's been a journey. Like my mom is definitely somebody who like nothing I do is ever good enough. Kind of thing. I can be like, I'm the president of the United States. Oh well, you should be the emperor. <laughs> yeah. Wow. It's that level. But um, yeah, I mean, I have my own goals and like standards that I try to keep. And I think, am I good enough? Yeah, it's a struggle. I'm saying I'm. I don't think I'm. I'm good enough yet in in some ways. And where I'm trying to get to, which is like, I really want to be able to, you know, work really well with like a large scale group of people. I think that's some somewhere where I'm lacking and like, I just feel like I need to be more adaptable. I need to be able to change more. I, I'm like, mm. I've always gone through like a lot of changes in my life. Like every year I kind of like reinvent myself and in different ways. And I feel like I'm not changing as much as I used to, if that makes sense. Yeah. And I feel like there's something wrong with that, but there probably isn't. I'm just getting older or something. But do you think, do you think burnout has something to do with this? Because you were making consistent videos once a week for, for years at, at, at a bar where you were satisfied with your quality. And then you put out, let's say something like a course with, you have obviously intentions of bringing a community together. You talk about the education system. And do you think burnout has something to do with either the, you know, the quality being not up to par, or you, you know, rushing things uh, as in external factors that impact how you execute that? Rushing things is my biggest flaw, I would say, right there. Mm. I am impatient. Um, that is something that I need to get better at. And I've been working on the past two years. I think I've gotten a lot better in the past two years, my patience. Yeah. It's definitely gotten a lot better. Mm. How do you think it got better? I mean, to be frank, just like taking the right medication, just like being diagnosed with bipolar, like, um, and then just taking my meds regularly and like seeing like, okay, this like definitely makes me less anxious and like, yeah, it's awesome. What's it like living as someone who's been diagnosed with that? How did your life change? Like right after you were diagnosed, did you kind of know before you went in? It's a whole story, but my, so I have a girlfriend, Sarah, she lives in Idaho and she's the one who kind of got me to admit that I had it first of all. Mm. And then it was like a huge struggle to get me to even take the medication because I felt like it would impact my creativity primarily. Yeah. But, you know, it really took someone who I feel like I trusted enough to like take that advice. And then I, when I did, I was like, we noticed some changes where like, yeah, I'm like much more calm and like, it's awesome. So it was really hard to get diagnosed with that because I felt like something was wrong with me. But looking back, I think it was just like different people get bipolar for different reasons. Some people just have it genetically. I think for me, it was just like never knowing whether I would be safe or not like growing up because my dad was kind of abusive. Mm. And so that kind of, when you're growing up, that kind of fucks with your system a little bit. Um, but I have meds that work and I have, it's a great tool in the toolbox. And I feel like everything is like pointing in the right direction now for me. Creatively, how do you feel that, is, that has changed you? I think it's given me the ability to not feel like I'm overwhelmed. Mm. I constantly felt overwhelmed like the last time, like the last act one, let's say. 
I don't feel overwhelmed. Feels like very like, okay, the numbers might not be good right now, but they will be. Yeah. Yeah. Now Kanye needs to listen to you. You know, Kanye was a, was my biggest influence like for YouTube at the time. Right. Really? For YouTube? Just, I mean, for, let me, let me rephrase that. Kanye was my biggest influence for like my muse in general. Wow. Like the way Dark Twisted Fantasy, that album yeah. was something else at the time. What's right? your favorite record on that one? Runway. Yeah. 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 It describes my life. I'm always running away. And we're running towards something, I would mm. say. So when I was, I think probably 15, 16, I was, I was running a marketing agency with some of my friends. And so we would just run around. We'd reach out to brands. Hey, can we make this video for you? We've worked with this brand, this brand, this brand. So for 15, 16 year olds, we were doing pretty good. Like money was good. You know, we were working with some really cool brands like Lexus, did some penny boards, right? And so for us, it was like, oh my God, we've made it. Um, and so we started taking on more and more and more work. So I was on a gap year off from like after high school. And so I was at a point where I was booking like a few shoots a week, but editing all the days I wasn't shooting. So I got super burnt out. And I started reading this book. It was called Atomic Habits. I love um, that book. Right. And so he talks about the best way to make change is by setting these like process-oriented goals versus, I guess, goal-oriented like, or metric-oriented goals. And so I was making YouTube videos at the time. And so for me, that looked like, okay, I need to put out a video a week versus I need to get 100 subscribers a week or, or like 10 subscribers a week, whatever it was for me at the time. Have you ever tried doing that? So it's just like a micro yeah, goal it, versus a macro? It, it's more so like attaching yourself to things that are in your control or in your control. Like, okay, you can say, I want to make a YouTube video that gets 100,000 views. That's cool. But what happens if you put everything into a video and it doesn't work out? Versus, okay, I'm going to put out one video a week, regardless of how well it does. And you know that at some point, if you keep putting out those videos, your numbers go up. That's a good point. Yeah, that, that is what I'm like. One video a week is my pace right now. It's what my goal is like all this year. Like no matter what happens, I'm just going to make at least one video a week on YouTube. So internet hold me to that. Yeah. When you started YouTube, right? Uh, was there an inflection point where you were like, oh man, something's working. Like, or I hit, you know, this, this part of the algorithm and I'm really taking off and growing. Do you remember that? I think it was when Udacity approached me like randomly. That's when, and I had like 12K subs at the time, but that whole process of like, I'm not just like some random person out here. Like people are actually listening to me. That's mm -hmm. when I was like, okay, this is, this is a big deal. Mm. So you're at a point now where it's like, you have almost a million subscribers. Your videos have been viewed almost, I think 50 million times or like 50 million views on your channel. And you were posting very consistently for years. You know, I was doing, when we were looking up some of your videos, I remember we saw a clip. I looked at it and I was like, oh, I've seen this video. Like when I was 12 or 13, like looking at machine learning. Like I had watched you as a kid. Why'd you stop? I burnt out. The average life cycle okay. of a YouTuber is five years. It's really rare to find a YouTuber who lasts longer than that. Because the process is so taxing in a way that I don't think anything else other than like, yeah, YouTube is because there's also an AdSense model that allows creators to get paid. Um, it's, it's more like a job than other platforms. Do you feel like it's more gameable than other platforms in, in terms of hitting the algorithms? I don't think it's more gameable. Hmm. I think it's like one of the most like meritocratic algorithms of them. 
in terms of, and that's not, you know, that's not to say much, but like, cause I'm just saying like a lot of other algorithms are a lot worse than YouTube. And what, what was your motivation? So you obviously you were banging out videos, you were doing great, uh, built a great following and you had mentioned, right. Uh, course, you know, publishing papers. What was the motivation to kind of get away from the core YouTube and transition into those other endeavors? It felt like that was something that the people I followed were also doing. Like, mm. you know, other YouTubers were doing that. Like, this is a thing. And like, I start, I'd started like a nonprofit called School of AI at the time. And like, it was great, but like nonprofits need money too. So I needed to find revenue sources as well. So that was another one. Mm. I always felt like I needed to expand beyond being a YouTuber. Like I was supposed to do that. Like, in fact, people still think that like, you know, it's like, what are you up to? Okay, besides YouTube. Mm. Okay, you know, like- it, They kind know, of play down the, yeah, the, the YouTube, people, people, even though you have all this success on YouTube. Yeah, but yeah. a lot of people assume I do like more. Mm. I would even say most people assume I do more than that. I mean, do you almost get offended by that? <laughs> like, in terms of the work you put into it, it you know, it's weirdly, like, I'm way more successful than you, probably, in terms of whoever's talking to you and- maybe you're, you're not as superficial as I am. <laughs> no, I, I think it's a compliment, honestly. Yeah. Because it's just like, they think I'm, to me, YouTube is just fun, honestly, yeah. in a weird way. I'm like, oh yeah, that's cool. But no, it's, it's just YouTube. I mean, I study and then I make art. The artists do YouTube. That's what, and I got that from Naval. It's just like learn art and learning are the reasons he's, his meaning. I'm like, mm. I really look at that as like a North star, like art and learning. So, so people just always approaching like, okay, what, what else are you doing? And th that kind of stuck in your head in terms of like. They assume I'm doing a lot, like 50 different things on the side. Yeah. Cause I am making all these different ideas on YouTube, but it's one cohesive journey of just. Would you call yourself an entrepreneur or an artist? I thought about that for a while. I would say both. Yeah. If you had to pick one. If I had to pick one entrepreneur. Really? I love freedom. Hmm. I love art, but more than art, I love freedom. And true entrepreneurship is just like a bold statement in like, I want to be free. But why, why not have just raised for a company? Cause, cause you come from a Silicon Valley culture, right? Uh, when you were jumping into, let's say a course, I mean, th theoretically you, you could have built a school like Mr. Beast uh, with the power you had and influence at that time, which, I mean, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but it, it sounds like you had the resource to do that. Was that ever a thought? It was a thought. Um, I just didn't feel like I had the patience to do that, right? Mm. That's something I could, I could theoretically do now, I feel like, go through all those meetings and do all the things necessary. But at the time, I was just like overwhelmed and just focused on making the right videos and numbers and not, and, you know, getting people educated. But like, a course is so much more work than just like making videos. And like, raising money, I felt was like a lot more, work than that because I'm not good at that I feel mm. and so but you still ended up you said going through with the course yeah and so how did that turn out I mean I'd, I've done several courses okay. but the last one I did went horribly what happened well I didn't a lot of things didn't happen a lot of things happened like one thing that happened was that um, I didn't put the right refund policy on the page that's a big one that mm. I should have done that that's very obvious and yeah. you were doing this yourself yeah, I mean, most, like, 95% myself. Uh, I had, like, some people who were kind of, like, helping in the community. I wasn't paying them. They were just kind of a 
volunteers, but like, yeah. yeah. Um, way too much. So no manager, no agent. Cause, cause I assume at this point you're doing sponsorships, you know, uh, brand deals. You, you, you're, you're a media business, right? Solopreneur. That's insane. Because most, I mean, we, we know a lot of content creators and, you know, people in LA, but even, even at such a low level, oh, talk to my artists and, and manager. And I was like, bro, you're not making more they than- got, They got 2,000 followers on yeah. Instagram. They're like, talk to my four so managers. You, <laughs> yeah. Do, do you feel like it was, it was more of the, of the times? And now do, do you look back and go, uh, maybe a mentor or someone, you know, giving you that advice as, as a content creator would have been helpful? 100%. Yeah. Like, yeah. like the networking aspect of it. 100% like having a network, a community, mm. like of people who support you. Everybody needs that, right? Like yeah. I wanted that too. And I felt like I had it, but it just wasn't there. And that's, that happens a lot of the time because, you know, first of all, it's hard to communicate just in general, like yeah. to show, you know, here, I like you and here's what I need. And that's hard. And, um, yeah, t when you, when you find the right people, you really want to hold on to them. That's what I've learned. Mm. What do you constitute as like the right person to be in your life? Uh, somebody who shares my values primarily and somebody who, you know, net positive for both of us by yeah. having each of us in our lives. It's good for both of us. So one thing that you mentioned that's interesting is like being an entrepreneur or making content is just like a way to kind of be free. So I've seen a lot of my friends I guess now over the years, a lot of them have like kind of made it in content, successfully making like a good amount of money every month. It's the only thing they do, right? Like the brand deals, the sponsorships, they all pay for, you know, their lifestyle. And it's a very inflated lifestyle in a lot of cases. If you were to start from zero right now and you want to like build that like creator life, what would you like start doing? Let's say an AI is a niche. Really good question. I would start on TikTok and I would really focus on, it's, it's so the landscape is so different than it was before. Yeah, that's true. So I don't know what I, I would, if I would focus on animations, if I would focus on explainer videos, if I would focus on podcasts, because all these things are going to be automated. I think just optimize for authenticity. Like what can the AI not do at that point? So I would be making reaction videos to AI research breakthroughs that are dancey and just something really weird and strange to... Wow. AI reaction dance videos. Yeah. You might be onto something here. Onto something. Something. <laughs> I don't know. I'm not. I'm bad at TikTok. All my videos are doing terribly and com compared to YouTube. So... That's not really a fair bar here, right? That's you're, true. You're, yeah, your videos on YouTube yeah. are like... What? You're kind of one of the biggest YouTubers in your niche ever. And then you're jumping on uh, TikTok, not... Uh, clearly not native to the platform. Are you are you on TikTok as just a user? As of three days ago, yes. I decided oh, wow. to finally... Okay. As of three days ago. <laughs> okay. So um, one thing that's interesting is from a TikTok perspective, I feel like what we've been experimenting is like it's all quantity-based, right? And so if you can come up with a way to consistently put out content without almost making it or while making the bar or the barrier to entry as low as possible to make a video... I feel like that's where people are succeeding now. It's not as much where you can like make one video a week. It takes off, you get a million views and now you have a hundred thousand followers. It's a lot more like people have to see you three or four times on their, on their for you page um, before they follow. And so one thing that's worked for us is like podcasts, right? And if uh, there was one of my, one of my friends has a startup and I was 
kind of talking to them about their launch strategy. And one of the things they're going to do is um, their team is going to start going on podcasts as many as they can, right? These people's podcasts could have like 20 listeners. That's not what matters, right? The only thing that matters is that it's a video podcast. So let's say that you go on one podcast a week, four guys, you know, one a week, I'm sure like one a month. That's not, that's not like very hard. Um, You can outsource those videos uh, or you can outsource the editing of that video to someone on Fiverr. It's like a hundred bucks a month. Um, And so now what you're looking at is like you go on a podcast for an hour, someone else takes care of editing it. And now you have one clip to post every single day on TikTok. Do that four times a month. If you have a team, you know, one of you does it every single week. And now you're looking at posting every single day on TikTok with about one to two hours of work on your part. Wow. I like that strategy. (laughs) 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 It's a good strategy. I have a Reels editor right now for TikTok, but yeah, I don't think it's doing well. It's like the ones where I'm not editing them, I'm not handing them off. It's just me. Mm. That those the ones do like much better. Interesting. Do you notice? Do you notice people like discovering you and being like, "Oh, I, I saw this guy on YouTube years ago" or never. anything like that? No, never. I have the strangest comments on TikTok. I just don't get it. Like I'm trying to educate these people. They're like, "I like your funny hands, Magic Man." <laughs> <laughs> Are you Where's- doing like animations? Where is that? Coming. No, I'm just talking about machine learning operations and using like, <laughs> you know, <laughs> weights and biases and PyTorch lightning. And they're like, I like your funny hands. I'm like, that's the engagement I'm getting. Engagement is engagement. Yeah. It's all good engagement, right? I mean, what's the difference? We've gotten hate on a couple of TikToks and we'll send it in our group chat. We're like, yes, this is great. What is it? No press is bad press, right? Yeah, no publicity. Uh, I disagree well, with that. Actually, but. you 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 might. Yeah. I disagree. <laughs> but that's just me. So one thing that's interesting is I heard you were on the Lex Friedman podcast. Yes. What was that like? It was cool. Um, it was at in San Jose and like uh, Lex was like, oh, you know, let me interview you. And I was like, come to my hotel room. And he like came there with like a suitcase because he keeps all, he kept all his stuff in a suitcase. Okay. And um, I think one of the first things he said to me was like, I was like, would you like to have a seat here um, on the chair, on the bed? And then he was just like, you invited me to your bedroom and then you invited me to your bed. (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, I mean, he was joking, but I thought it was hilarious. But yeah, we just like, he he just like set up like this kind of ghetto lighting, you know, total YouTuber thing. I helped him like, we just use like a lampshade and like remove the shade and nice. Yeah. It was cool. Is he a funny guy? He's really serious. But then again, I was super serious. Yeah. Um, Cause you're not a funny, like, I, uh, like you don't make Damn, like humor he said, videos. He said, you're not a funny I, I, guy. A funny you, guy. You know what I mean? Like yeah. in, in the context of like, I wouldn't go to your YouTube channel and watch for humor right. as the main thing. Yeah. So it's like, did, did you kind of vibe with him on that? Yeah. I mean, I, yeah. Like the whole content creation thing we, yeah. we definitely vibed on. Mm. Um, it, it was, it was cool at the time, but I think just after everything that happened, it just he deleted it. So, oh, it's okay. You can still find it. You just search. Okay. So no beef with Lex Lex Friedman. No beef on my end. I mean, he blocked me on Twitter, so I think he really might be beefing. But were you talking about him? Okay, I did. And I'm sorry, Lex, if you're listening, but I I did. You never know. I I did like challenge him to an MMA fight live stream. <laughs> Wait, what? Twitter, yeah. And then he blocked me. You challenged him to an MMA fight. Because he deleted the podcast. Was this before or after YouTube boxing became a thing? It was after. Okay. Wait, wait, wait. I was wait, inspired by that. So he, he deleted your podcast 
And your first thought was MMA fight? No, my first thought was like, this. the MMA fight came like two years after he did Oh, uh, okay. Okay. Yeah. Where I was like, I was trying to reach out to him and like Got talk it. and all that. Like, right. And you fight, you train MMA, I assume? Yeah. Okay. And he does, or you just... Yeah, yeah. He's a oh, he does. Guy. He's legit. Oh, got it. Got it. Oh, so th- this wasn't... I'm kind of with him here. That, I just think it's funny. He said, yeah, he deleted my podcast. Pause. And then I... And then I challenged, challenged him, him to an MMA, MMA fight. fight. Yeah. You guys the same weight class? Like, what... Did you think about this? I thought Because I can it. promote this. We can... We have people. I'm ready. I'm ready. You're ready to go? I'm ready to go, yeah. What's your train... How many weeks do you need? I mean, give me like... Give me a month. A month. Well, Lex, I don't want beef with Lex Friedman. Lex, like if you that. want to reach out here, we can <laughs> we can set this up. It'd be a mega fight. That would be a good fight. We can set pay per view. That would do well. See, this is how things go wrong in L.A. <laughs> so someone's in your camp. They're like, "Yeah, you could totally beat him." He's like having PTSD to like Santa Monica and oh just my like, God. <laughs> wait, so it's so like, someone... have you ever rapped? And you're like, wait, what? He's like, oh, we're making a diss track now. Yeah, no, we can make a diss track. No, 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 I don't want to make a diss track. Not about that. But but that's that's interesting because obviously you know you can go on and r- read about but you know Coffeezilla has made reaction videos. Uh, have you watched these videos? Dude, uh, he took down Logan Paul recently. That was that uh, was hilarious, yeah. and I couldn't stop watching it. Really, so weird because like Coffee made the video yeah. about me at like all those years ago, and I felt like shit. Wait 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 wait, Coffeezilla made a video about you. Yeah, it's kind of cool in a weird way. Yeah. How do you t- take us through that? Just that coming out. Was he as big at the time? Like was he no no big? he was way smaller. It was way smaller. Okay. But yeah, I mean, it was my course. He's like, hey, you're, you know, you're scamming these people. Like they need their money. Like, what are you doing? And like, he even reached out to me on like Twitter. He I did. didn't reply. Yeah. Because I was just so, I don't know. I was like, who is this? I was just like totally coked out and like. Yeah. Um, but you, you, I, you were a much bigger YouTuber or. In, in I had more, I don't know if I was bigger. It was. Okay. How do you, and how did you end up in that like path of like, you know. Going through that, being coked up, et cetera. This is so weird, but like I had a goal of like collaborating with one of the like rappers and trying to do an AI rap with them. Okay. And like, you know, Jaden Smith in particular. And like these rappers yeah. go to like different LA clubs. And so I just got into like a LA club scene and then, yeah. you know, a little it's bit of this, a little bit of that. And it's dangerous. And I'm already a very energetic, like up person. So like stimulants are not good for me. Mm. And so, yeah, lesson learned. Did you ever meet Jaden? No, I did not. Okay. No. But I met Drake's dad. That was cool. Really? Yeah. At a club. What was that like? It was, it was very brief. Mm. Yeah. But I was like, yeah. Did that. How did you end up getting off Coke and, you know, after the two months? How long were you? Uh, it was like two months. How did you end up getting off it? Um, well, I almost OD'd. And like, um, that was like a wake up call. Mm. That was probably it. Like, oh, I don't want to die. Yeah. Um, but I think there's like an age where like most famous people die. I think it's like 28 or 27. It's like Jimi Hendrix, um, you know, Amy Whitehouse, all these yeah, people. Yeah, this is all over the internet. There's a certain, even even a, like Juice World and Uzi would rap, rap about that. Yeah. Like in terms of, right? 27? Not, is, was it? 27 Club? 21? Yeah, is it It's one of those clubs. 27, yeah. 27, I, was, I was that age when, I, when that happened. So that was kind of in your head too, like in terms of. Yeah, because it's like, yeah. you, you know, you're at that perfect stage where like you're not in your 30s, you're done with the you've made the mistakes and but you can still just have fun and like you, it, you're just able to make any decision without you feel uh consequence and did you feel like a celebrity absolutely yeah absolutely go, go more into that because it's not a, obviously you're not a traditional celebrity 
what even just like, like the concept of feeling like a celebrity yeah i'd love to know more it's about one that. of those like one percent of the like if not one percent like point one percent of the world will ever experience that for now that's going to change everybody's going to be a micro influencer if you go to asia yes. everybody's streaming themselves Hello. TikTok, everyone has like 10. Yeah, but we mean followers. real, like, right. come on. Give you, we're going to give you more credit here. <laughs> like, we mean a real celebrity. Like, you're, you're a real celebrity. Like, like, and, and you earned it. See, I, I, don't want, I don't want people to start thinking that's how it, that's how, right? You just stick a camera and talk about nothing and, and you can become that. Like, I, I mean more uh, mentally, what does that do to you? Mentally, what does it do to me? It, I mean, at first it's validating. Yeah. First few times. And then it's like, annoying and then it's like you're apathetic and then it just depends on what state i'm in sometimes mm-hmm. if i'm in a low mood it can raise me up it depends on the person as well like who, who approaches me so um, you so you're getting approached in, in person so this is more than just digital i've been approached in so many countries like it's it's insane what's it g- give us give us a good interaction of something you remember okay a really good one would be like um in antwerp belgium where yeah. i met Simon, who was like a 12 year old who really liked my videos. And he like saw me and like started saying one of my raps and it was like really awesome. Yeah. It was really one of your raps. Yeah. He was like singing this, like, um, you got to encode, then you decode, you got to encode, then you decode. It was like one of the first sequences, sequence models. And I like made a little 10 second rap about it. And like, and he was like right there. He just like knew it. And I was like, wow. Yeah. And he wanted to like show me all his like Python code and stuff. And I was like, this is cool. He's 12. This guy's yeah. going to be legit at 30, you know, in 20 years. He'll be making GPT-7. And that was the whole intention behind, I mean, your motivation is like, yeah, like we talked about school and, and dropping out, but having the ability not to go to school and to, and to learn this quickly. Like that's, that's exactly what you want. Yeah. I mean, my whole, my mom's whole thing was like, you need to be educated because that's the most important thing. And she really valued education. And I love that part about her. But it's just like so intense that like the, you know, the homework and like I, I always had to like study and I never, I didn't have the like social experience that a lot of people had in high school and stuff. I was just like total nerd and like, um, and that's fine. But I had to learn stuff I didn't want to learn. Yeah. And I really disagree with that because like we're all going to die. We have limited time on earth and like we should learn things what that we want to, not that we're forced to because we should. That's a tradition. I don't believe in tradition. No. Like, no tradition. Mm. Tradition has never served me well. Mm. Tradition has only held me down. I'm here to create new modes, new traditions with other people. Mm. So like instead of, instead of just like drop out of school, you know, enroll in something like build space. Like that's what's up. Or, you know, self-motivate study yourself and it's hard i'm trying to figure out how i can i'm still trying to figure out how i can better help people than just videos on my youtube channel like yeah one idea i had recently was like why combinator for everybody else like as i make these mvps people are like stripe and plaid integration is great but like i don't live in the u.s and i don't have a i don't have the ability to make a u.s bank account yeah so many entrepreneurs need that to get paid Mm. so that's why i come full circle back to like web3 how else are people going to get paid if someone can answer that question for me, I'll drop crypto forever. Do you believe that's the strongest use case for crypto and Web3? Lifting people out of poverty who don't have access to financial tools that we do. Absolutely. Mm. As long as they don't have a stable currency, crypto will have a place. How do you think they'll get adoption? Because right now, a lot of these places that don't have stable currencies also don't have stable internet. 
That's a good point. People are still on their Nokia, like Nokia phones, flip phones, no browser, well, no water sometimes. That's a key point to add in there. Yeah, the no water, water food. the water is a big one. Yeah, the water is a big one. But he can eliminate because for for pockets of the day, he's proven hot pot water. I've got the tests and studies ready for you. Yeah, Starlink this year is probably gonna like account for like a lot of SpaceX's revenue, and like they're just pushing them out everywhere. You could even see free global Wi-Fi this year with Starlink. Interesting. I, th- I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility. I feel like the world has, and maybe this is just because I've gotten older, but I feel like the world has accelerated in the last two years at a much faster pace than the last 10 or 20. Right. And yeah, on the last 10 or 20, we got social media, we got phones, we got like a whole technological revolution. The AI is like mind blowing to me. Right. And you look at like, they're already cha- uh, training GPT-4. The, 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 the sample size of the data, I saw this picture I think from Alex Hermosi, right? I, I don't know what the numbers are, but GPT-3, is, it's trained on what looks like a pinpoint, right? And so GPT-4 is going to be able to train itself, right? I, I mean, you know more than, more than I do on, on what GPT-4 will look like. What do you think the world will look like in four years, five years? We're going to see a lot more business owners in the world. I saw a chart on Twitter recently that should show the number of businesses registered in the U.S., and then it was just like a flat line. And then you look at the past year and it does this. Mm. Like 2021. Yeah, but how, how much of those are like PPP scams? Oh, wait a second. <laughs> well. It's a few, right? Even, it could still, be. Like, you're starting to see a big movement now. Like people 14, 15, 16, 17 making a full living. Making yeah. more than their parents sometimes just based off internet businesses. And like, yeah, drop shipping. It wasn't a bubble. But it definitely got to a point where it was a bubble. And people were making a lot more money than they can now because Facebook ads were in a different place, mm. right? But even though, even, if, even though we'll probably see countermeasures against things that exist right now, it's been put into people's minds that like there are other career paths. There are other ways to make a living that aren't just go to college and just get a job. And I'm not saying, oh, don't get a job, don't go to college. Um, but I am interested to see what the majority of people will be doing for work in 10 years, or at least the majority of people in tech. Because tech is one of those few industries where it's like, you really don't need as much institutional support or upbringing as you do in other fields. Hmm. I don't want a doctor who didn't go to school. You know, hmm. I don't want to be represented by a lawyer who didn't go to school. But I absolutely use products every single day that were built by people that have never stepped foot in a university. So that's interesting. Well, those are two. Okay, those are the two edge cases. Like, we can talk about this. Doctor, for sure. Lawyer, okay, GPT is the biggest enemy to lawyers right now. Right? Like, the the work that lawyers do a lot of that can be automated but i see but i see what you're saying about like actual like winning a case in real life and but the doctor thing is legit yeah that is the one that i would say is like if you want to be a doctor you have to go to school for that please right go to now. school for yeah. that don't, no no, no. please go to school stay away from chat gpt don't <laughs> cheat on your homework well okay even that like they shouldn't have to go to undergrad and study like um something unrelated to like being a doctor to go to med school i feel like in i think in europe in some countries like you can just go straight to med school like as a trade school, that would be cool. The Caribbean, I know, I know some people. I mean, in the Caribbean. If you need the hookup, reach out. Two years. No, no, you don't like this. You no, know? <laughs> the Caribbean. No, 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 no. No, I thought about that in high school when I was like, maybe I should be a doctor. And then I was like, Did your parents want you to be a doctor? Of course. Yeah, of course. Yeah, that, that's the dream, right? That's the dream for, for, for brown parents. It is. It is a dream. Yeah. Now that you're older. Do you feel like your relationship with your parents is at a point where you maybe wanted it to be when you were younger? I would say so. I've, I think I've set boundaries that are better. 
about like these are things I'm willing to do and not. And um, they basically want me to go back to Houston and like, I just love it out here. I just stay out here. Yeah. San Francisco. I know Austin had its moment, but it's not quite SF. Energy. It was never going to work. Austin. Just being in Texas. I've, I love Texas. I've, I've been to every, I mean, pretty much every city in Texas, but Austin was never going to replace Silicon Valley. What showed that to you? I, I mean, I think it starts with lack of diversity mm-hmm. and the diversity was overblown. Like the, when people are like, oh, Austin's a very diverse city. That's like probably a half a mile to a mile radius in like a specific downtown. Like Texas is so big and spread out. Yeah. It's not very diverse and it, you can't force diversity and, and culture. And it's, it still has a Texas feel to it. I mean, I, I, I could be wrong, but is it better than Houston and Dallas? Yeah, but I mean, it's, it's miles away from this. It's hot as hell. I mean, the girls are hot as hell. Um, the weather's hot as hell. Um, the food is spicy as hell. It's pretty much hell out there. <laughs> I'm glad I'm not there. Well, he, I was trying to put it nice. But. So the, the reason I asked about how you feel about your relationship with your parents is um, now the topic of AGIs is starting to be brought into the discussion of what the somewhat near kind of far future looks like. First off, I probably want you to explain what AGIs are, um, general audience. But after that, like, how do you see AGIs fitting into society? So Adept is a really cool company that is working on AGIs this year. Have you guys seen their demo? No. It's really cool. So these are just agents that you can type natural language tasks into, and then they're going to perform them in your web browser. Mm. Find me a home near me that has three bedrooms under this price range. And it goes to Redfin autonomously, types in the parameters, searches, creates an Excel spreadsheet with options, emails that to you. So it's like going through different. So that to me is like, okay, we're getting there with AGI. It's like they're very specifically, systematically in a marketing way saying, we have AGI and we this is the product, yeah. which I think is very cool and early. What is AGI supposed to be in like its final form? Different people have different views on what AGI is supposed to be. I would say that you can categorize AGI into four different uh, categories. Oracles, genies, oracles and genies. Those are the first two. Um, The next two are like, um, this this comes from Bostrom's book, Superintelligence. Have you guys read that book? No. Oracles, genies, um, sovereigns, and um, DAOs. Like, that's that's the weird one we'll talk about at the end. But let's start with the first one, oracles. Like something that you can ask any question to, and it'll give you any answer that you could ever imagine. Second one is a genie, something that you can ask to do a task and it can do any task, right? Just like a genie can, mm. your three wishes. The third one is a sovereign. That means some entity that is out of your control entirely. So one example of that would be a DAO, right? A DAO that lives on a blockchain can't be shut down. That'd be a sovereign AI. And um, the fourth one kind of fits into that. That's kind of the framework I think of AGI specifically. So one thing that's also being kind of sh- more popularized in the media is that this a- AIs are trained on a very large set of data, right? A lot of it is human data. And so some of these AIs are, or I think, I'm not sure what the specifics are, but you're, you're starting to notice like human biases show up in the AIs. Like they'll have like biased tendencies. First off, is that true? And second off, like, how does that translate to now we have AGIs, which are essentially like 
sentient individuals, but they were programmed with somewhat of a somewhat of a bias, but then they also have like a much smarter brain than any human alive. Do not see a problem with that. Do people see a problem with that? I don't think a lot of people see a problem with it because they're not we're just not good at looking long term, like predicting the long term. I do think that we're all going to, in the next four years, be able to fall in love with an AI if we want to. Like, like that's her. the level. Her? Yeah. Her's going to happen. You think? What, what's her? Her is GPT, the movie Her. I haven't seen it. Bro. I don't watch movies. That's okay. That's, that's true. Okay. He doesn't watch movies. That's actually not a bad thing. That's not a bad thing. It's just a movie about an AI girlfriend that a guy has. So, like, that's happening in the next four years. What skill? What, what, what do you think that'll happen? Well, like, do you mean like AI one? Girlfriend? Yeah, it's like one person or like uh, this would be just commonplace. The only it's just me. Yeah, with an A. Yeah, it'd be your own individual AI. And But why, why, why do you believe that will happen? Because ChatGPT is already so good at remembering the context That's and true. it's getting better every day as I use it. Yeah, but you think that replaces human interaction? I mean, there are already people who replace human interaction with like Discord messaging their friends. And there are Discord bots that mimic a real, like a, a specific type of person. They still have to go see their friends at some point. A lot of no? people don't. Really? Yeah. I mean, you mentioned Alex Hormozzi. Did yeah. you see that video where he talks about like AI adapt or die? Tell me. This is just really cool. But he's talking about like it becomes AGI. It goes into the Tesla humanoid robot. People yeah. fall in love with these humanoids. And then it's just normal to be like married to AI. But I don't know. You don't see that as an accessory to to your lifestyle versus replacing like actual people. So so I actually get that because think about it like this. We thought posting pictures of ourselves when we go to the beach was an accessory. And now, like you mentioned, in Asia, people are just running around streaming their entire lives. Is that true? Is that actually a thing? That's a thing. I mean, Sigil, he's one of the kids in the Founders Inc. community. He was like on a 24-hour live stream. Justin TV from Twitch, they had a 24-hour live stream. And well, sure, those, those are one or, those, influencers. Those I mean, are educators. Yeah. But in Asia, like a majority of people are like the, the common people will just live stream. Them. Really? Like Seoul. Seoul. Have you been to Seoul? No. Yeah, it's like Seoul is like very common there. Seriously? Yeah. So I, I have a camera and I'm just walking around live yeah. streaming? Yeah, or you're at a restaurant. Who's watching this? Thousands of people who are lonely at home. But are they live? So what are they doing? They're watching the live stream. They're just watching the live stream. Yeah, who watches the you know live what streamer? I mean? Who it, live streams a live streamer? Yeah, yeah. It, it, I mean, it doesn't. Have, it can be two way. I mean, huh? What's the fas- fascination with this? People like watching people. Like babies will stare at you. Like it's human tendency to just like watching other people. That's why YouTube is doing better than traditional television right now. But that's different. That's just replacing entertainment mediums. This is another level of what we're talking about now. Well. Okay, this is a weird thing to say, but like when you hang out with people, a lot of the time it is just for entertainment to kill time. Okay, right. I, I so, see that. So now it's mm, just it's really yeah, it's not something that's a really weird way to look at people. I know, but um, it's not like we're saying like it's not like I'm saying I, I think this is going to happen in five days. Mm. But think about how quickly Instagram took over our lives and turned into TikTok. It's like built mm. into people's night routines. They're going to scroll TikTok for two hours before they fall asleep every sure. night. Sure. Do you see it the same I'm, way? I'm actually kind of worried a little bit, like when I think about this. Yeah, now now it's starting to worry me. Because, because I'm like, it, it really does seem like we're the biological bootloader for a digital super intelligence. And like, look at our birth rates. Like we're less and less fertile. Yeah. And these things are 
more and more fertile in the sense that they are replicating, they're self-replicating machines. Sure. And we're helping build it. And it's like they are becoming better than us. And they're already, ChatGPT is like a much better employee than a lot of people yeah. across domains. People mm. on Twitter are firing their copywriters, firing their VAs, it's like making tweets about it. And these are like actual like Series A company, Series B. I mean, obviously, yeah, you, you can say ChatGPT is like, it's a tool. A good artist becomes even better with it. A good writer becomes even better. But what about all the people that aren't great writers? That's a good point. Mm. Yeah. I mean, it's becoming more saturated. Right. Yeah. That's fine because, like, a lot of people, like, I've noticed, like, you know, in India, like, a lot of people who are like contractors, they're they're able to, like, they've said they they can communicate with like Americans better because of like GPT. Mm. And it seems like it's you know, so that's a good thing. And like artists, if you're shitty, you can just use Midjourney, and you're an amazing artist all of a sudden, right? It's also interesting because, like, right now we the way most of us interact with ChatGPT is like what chat.openai.com, right? It's just that little gray box. But people are now starting to build new interaction layers where it's like, okay, one iteration is now you can text it like through SMS. Through yeah, but, what, but but now think right. about it. Like in, in a year after all these people have started, the same people who built basic Web2 apps changed the way our lives work, right? Yeah. Now think about people changing how you interact with the AI and how that's going to iterate over time. Two, three, four years down the line, what does that look like? Because we're not feasible? using gray box. Yeah, but is this feasible financially? I mean, they were saying ChatGPT burns about it's, it's millions of dollars a day. Think how expensive it was to run a landline. 30, I understand, but we pay hundreds of dollars to have landlines. How is, is there going to be a point where this is profitable and everyone's willing to pay? If you have to pay $10 for every interaction, how many people are paying for that? Like is economically, does this make sense at scale? Maybe That's exactly what thought. they asked me today, OpenAI, because it was down at capacity. And there's a form that anybody can fill out that says, if you'd like to know when it's back, fill out this form and they ask your name, your email. And the three questions are so weird because I've never seen a company ask this, like what's the max amount of money you would pay for chat GPT? Mm. And it's like, what's the least amount of money you would pay? And then what's like a reasonable amount you would pay? Three different pricing I've questions never heard of that. to the user directly. So clearly they're as confused as we are. How did you answer it? How much would you, you answer okay, it? So I said a hundred dollars max. Okay. I said what? And then the other question was like, what do you think would be too cheap to pay? Okay. And I said $5. This is monthly. How does, what's the structure? A month. Okay. And then what, unlimited, like unlimited. Okay. I was like, Got that's, it. that would be too cheap. Got it. And then $10 would be a steal, a, a good deal. So $5 is too low. $10 is steal. And you'd pay up to a hundred dollars a month. Now they're going to do that. <laughs> Why would you say, we should have all just, how do you feel? Uh, did, did you agree they with that? They should be paying us. Would I pay a hundred dollars a month? <laughs> they, should should pay pay they should be paying us. Yeah. They should be paying us <laughs> to train their machine. I mean, it's like GitHub Copilot, right? Everyone put their code up on GitHub and now it trained their like code writer assistant. Mm. I mean, Sam Altman's whole thing is like fusion and intelligence, right? He's yeah. looking at distributing intelligence with Chad GPT and then investing in fusion through whatever that company is in Washington. Um, and once those two things are there and intelligence is a commodity and, and energy is a commodity, yeah. it already is, but like at the fusion scale, then everyone's just going to be like super productive and it's going to be this new renaissance. But how is how does Microsoft fit here? Because so everyone's productive, no one's productive. That that's that's a fair point. Yeah. At, at what point does this this raises the 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 floor productivity mm -hmm. floor? But does it really raise the uh, ceiling? It just changes the economy and education, like the socioeconomic education pathway of like you go to school, then you get a job, um, and then you retire. That becomes like you 
learn and build in this new iterative feedback cycle with an AI. And as you do that, you will monetize. Okay. So the economics will work itself out. The economics will work itself out. There was a guy on Twitter today who's like, I've never coded before. And now ChatGPT helped me make a website. I'm making money from it. Wow. And he showed the whole Twitter thread. And I was like, that, okay, that's where we're going. Like, that's hard for me. And I know how to code, right? Like React and Versil and deploying it. And yeah. Oh, wow. And he used ChatGPT for that. He used ChatGPT for the whole process. And he had no coding. Zero coding experience. And he made money from it. And he showed the analytics chart and like. Bro, it's hard for people who have never coded to follow a step-by-step tutorial that shows you exactly what lines of code to put. It's almost like a meta education. It's not what tools you need. It's what questions you need to ask. Prompt engineering. Prompt engineering. So who is this going to replace? Like, how do you see this playing out in terms of the even, and we, you, you mentioned this about um, the uh, layoffs uh, in tech and how tech is changing in terms of overinflated staff, right? Yeah. And non-essential positions. Yeah, how do you see this playing out in terms of the general tech job market? I mean, in a lot of ways, like my own job, like content creator slash teacher educator, yeah. like, you can just ask this 24-7 tool all the questions you need and it is able to simplify research papers better than I can at whatever time you need, 24-7, right? So yeah. I can't compete with that. And I could even make my own Siraj bot and it would be better than me in terms of all the questions I get from like bug fixes and like what's the best resource or book or, for, you know, nobody can do that, no human. So teaching, content creators, but there's still, a, I'm still doing what I'm doing. So I was going to say that, but there's never going to be a point. This is my opinion that, that 12-year-old that watched you and learned and he saw you and got that excited, I just don't think AI will ever get to that point unless it comes from you yourself and you've trained it to the point where it's just an accessory of what you do. I just feel like it's going to make the great content creators even greater. And yes, maybe it raises the floor, but I just don't think you'll be replaced because how is that emotional connection going to work? Unless you're saying the AI is going to at some point create also that emotional connection that you made with that kid. You ever seen Coco Melon? Yeah. Those are fake people. Voices can be generated yeah, but right that, now. Yeah, that's animation. That's like... And those are something... There are two, three, four, five, six-year-olds that are more socially or... Emo, sorry, emotionally connected to those Coco Melon figures than they will ever be to a person in their life. Th- that's, that's speculation. You, there's no way of proving that and they all have parents that feed them and change their diapers, not Coco Melon. That's fine. That's fine. What I'm saying is... I don't think the bar is as high for a creator or a person that you will have an emotional attachment to. I, I, I think that's more speculation than it is. Yeah, it's just proven, speculation. Right? We it's don't know. It's not proven. Yeah. But that's, that's, I think that's, I don't know. What do you think? I mean, what is love? Like, is that, <laughs> the, it goes back to that. We, we went from speculation to what is love? Well, what is the thing that differentiates us from these machines? What like, is it? Yeah. What, what is it? You know, because you, you, you brought up a great point. Uh, I'm, I'm not disagreeing with what you're saying at all. I don't know how to answer that. What is the differentiator in terms What's of What's the like, differentiator between watching the Coco Melon and feeling emotion and, and, you're, and then you with your parents, you're like, these people are boring. Like, I'm not getting the <laughs> same enjoyment. Is it just like layers of abstraction in your neocortex where it's at first, it's just like basic feeling, but as you add more neurons and layers, then you feel things. And eventually at the top, there's love. Or is love some sort of other thing? entirely maybe content like just changes altogether because now imagine you're a four or five year old watching coco melon yeah and mind you let's say 2030 so ai has kind of been more um 
integrated into content. Mm. You're watching Kokomo and the thing starts talking back at you as a four or five year old. That's happening. That's yeah, already happening. Right? Yeah. And so how does that change how you like maintain and create emotional connections with people versus machines? But then can teachers be replaced in at that point? Like at, at the kindergarten at, yeah, at the low grade level? Yeah. And yeah. You you look at teachers right now. I need to be careful what I say here, but like there are some teachers that are just very emotionally incapable, right? Like they'll have a sure. six, seven, eight year old, you know, maybe he's on the spectrum a little bit. Mm. It hasn't been diagnosed. They haven't caught it. And they're just getting frustrated with this kid, making him hate school. You're saying the AI can catch it quicker? At some point. Yeah. I, I, hmm. Right. Hmm. And so at that point, yeah, it makes sense. Those teachers should be replaced. What do you think? I do think that a lot of teachers are going to be replaced. A lot of professors at universities, you either adapt or, you know, you get left behind with this technology. I'm just, if you're a good educator, you should be looking at how to use ChatGPT to improve your classroom and your students, you know, assessments of their skills. And there's ways to do that, you know, with sentiment analysis and like, you know, just data collection and deep learning. This is all just deep learning in the end, you know. We could be using this tool to be better educators. But I do think like, I for one welcome our robot overlords. Like I do think we're going to love these machines like we do people. I think that people are going to fight for robot rights like they do for civil rights in different communities right now. And, you know, like, the, you know, it, it's not going to be us. It's going to be the next generation who hasn't been. They haven't lived a life without it. Yeah. Here's the thing though. They grew up with ChatGPT since I was one. You know, so you're you're from Houston, yeah, right? I'm 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 from uh, Jersey, New York. Obviously, you're you're from around here, Silicon Valley, and we, I, I've I've only been here a year, and I've seen how much Silicon Valley like warps your way of thinking. How much of a bubble is this? Because oh, uh, people still talk about Ch Chat GPT. We we all know ninety nine percent of the world has no idea what it is, and then also like you go to Idaho, how many people are getting uh, uh, food delivery? How many people, I mean, you know better than me, but I'm, the, the point is people still go to like Walmart and shop. That's the only way to get stuff in like half of this country. No, no, this isn't hype. The ChatGPT stuff isn't hype because Ryan Reynolds just made a video about ChatGPT. You saw that? I saw yeah. that. I did see that. That's so why I was like, for yeah. me, that was like, okay. It's mainstream now. I, I don't mean yeah. even hype. I, I just mean in terms of real, because because there's like crypto use cases, mm -hmm. like this yeah. and that, like 99% yeah. of the world still doesn't use this. Yep. So it's like, how, how much of this is, when we talk about adoption, uh, to, to penetrate, uh, is someone in Ohio going to use this? How, how does that, Ohio. do you get what I'm saying? Well, like, we're all in our different bubbles. Like we, yeah. we, we, we were all separately in these individual city bubbles, exactly. but we are all collectively in the America bubble. So Web3 might- Is that true though? Yeah, if we were to go spend a week in like any, you know, if we were to go spend a week in like Kenya, we would really be like, we need some crypto to pay people if we were going to like pay people. Really? Yeah. And they do, they do actually use it. They use BitPesa to do that on their phones. Yeah, but, but a week in Idaho and a week in San Francisco, you don't think those are two really different things? They are. They are. Yeah, that, that's, that's all I'm saying. Like yeah. the, you, we'd feel it immediately. That, that, that's all I'm saying. Like I think even in America, we're... we're there's a huge divide in cities versus even in SF. Like I still have friends I went to high school with that would have never used Uber, would never DoorDash. Really? Because like have never used they, Uber. Yeah, never. Wow. Used, a lot of it's because wow. their parents are strict. Yeah, right? but like they've never used Uber. They would never spend money on DoorDash when they can just drive to the store and pick it up. Yeah. You know, like there's a divide even in SF. But I'm not. I don't think I'm arguing that 
that necessarily. What I'm saying is yeah. this is all going to take a long time, but at some point it's probably going to happen. It's going to happen. Yeah. And I'd be shocked if it doesn't happen in our lifetime. Mm. What's it? This point where it's like AI has taken over to the point where this reality we live is almost completely unrecognizable. And to a, a kid who, who was born in, in 10 years, this is going to be, or like that life, thinking about this life is the equivalent of me thinking about the 1950s. And we just don't know what like that day-to-day life would look like yeah. for the average person. Because the Jetsons, the Jetsons takes place somewhat now, I, I, the show. And they had like flying cars and all this stuff. And it's now like, you look at it and you're like, what did we really accomplish here? 2023 like, will have flying cars. No. Yeah. Well, we kind of do. It's just not cars. They're fly- It's information sure. that's flying through the air. Yeah. We thought it'd be physical, but it's information. So what it really was, was data and information is what changed and what progressed really quickly and less physical. I mean, physical almost went backwards. That, that's almost what we're saying. Is, I mean, is, yeah, physical kind of has to go backwards. But now. you're saying in your, even generationally, and, and you're, you're older, uh, I, I'm older, obviously, than you, but, but you're saying it's more like, uh, you go on Discord, you communicate with your friends. That's more commonplace than like going outside and let's say, you know, playing basketball or whatever. For some people in my generation, yeah, absolutely. Because you're from Texas, mm-hmm. outdoor activity and just your friends going out, I assume that's what you did as a kid versus, oh, well, I. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. But I also played video games all day as well. Sure. Yeah. Both. Which was better? Probably video games because like I connected with the people better because they weren't local. A kid today in Singapore has more in common with a kid in Kansas than adults in the same places. You see what I'm saying? Yeah, I, I see what you're saying. Because of the internet. Yeah. There's, it's like a different tribe. You guys know Bology and the whole network stake thing? Yeah. yeah. It's kind of out there, but there's a little bit of truth there. Yeah. But you still need, like, like even Founders Inc. Uh, as an example. And obviously you can, you can run a startup virtually from anywhere you can do all these things you can build a community but the you know we always say the magic of being here in the office and and, and you've started coming here like it, it's just different yes yeah, the people right all in real life there's like serendipity conversations definitely and it's I like love you it feel that yeah i love it here yeah but but you can even attest to like at at, at uh, this is different and and you're obviously a huge proponent of like look the you know, digital community and and ai but it's like you still see importance and value in this Absolutely. Yeah. This place is amazing. I feel like everywhere should have a Founders Inc. Yeah. All right. So we, uh, we do this thing towards the end of our episodes, rapid fire section. Okay. First question is, um, what is the best advice you've ever received in your life? Slow down. What's the worst advice you've ever received in your life? You'll always have time for that. Mm. Explain that one. When I was working at Twilio, someone I really looked up to um, who was working there, um, was like, I, I was kind of telling him like, I kind of had this idea to be like a Bill Nye, but for AI on YouTube. Mm. And I want to do it now. He's like, you just got the job and like, you always have time for that. Yeah. Wow. Well-meaning, but probably the worst. Yeah. There's one person that you could be in a room with that you haven't been in a room with. Who would that be? Naval. Naval. What do you think of his teachings has been the most interesting? He says a lot of stuff. I've just been a fan of his for like eight or nine years. And I just love that he's maintained that consistent wisdom and kind of outlook and success in his life as an investor and a technologist. So I just think he'd be a really cool guy to just talk to. Mm. Last question. What do you think is the happiest you've ever been in your life? 
Probably when Elon retweeted my video. Which one? <laughs> Some like OpenAI video that they asked me to make back in the day. That's pretty good. Called That's Universe. Good. I think I'm the only influencer they've ever paid money. Maybe I'm wrong. Yeah. Yeah. That was pretty cool. Because he doesn't, they don't pay influencers. They don't have to. Has it they don't have to anymore. Wow. I was at a good time. So what's what, what's next for you? Give us give us what you know the next few years look like. I mean, you you might not even know, but you're obviously rebranding yourself here and getting back into consistent content. Like, what are you looking forward to doing? And and what what are you changing? Like, obviously, you're doing things different. Like, uh, give us a little bit insight into that. I really want to focus on improving my skills as a programmer, like legit just really get to know like all the latest tech. So that's one, just like learn a lot. The other one is to be a Y Combinator for everyone else. Mm. That's really kind of this current iteration of where I'm at, of like what I'm going to do with my YouTube community. Yeah, There's a lot of hungry people out there. They want to found AI startups. They want to build things. Yeah, They just don't have the tools to do that. I want to see how I can help them Interesting. better. Mm. So to end it off, where can people find you online? Find me on YouTube, Siraj Raval. That's my main one that I'm focused on right now. Any last words? Damn, that sounded morbid. <laughs> I said that. I was like, Any Here we last go. Words? Here we go. You're never making it out of this room. Don't look up. <laughs> Keep calm and study machine learning. <laughs>